Welcome to the Grow Strong Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I interview business leaders who are committed to their own growth and the development of everyone on their team. If you enjoy my podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for joining me today. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I love introducing you to people who are committed to their own development and to helping other people realize their full potential. And my guest today does that in such a beautiful way. I'm so excited to introduce her to you. I also want to mention first that our focus in our company is on this very topic also, and we are growstrongleaders.com. We publish software tools and books for improving the way people connect with each other at work. And you can check us out at our website, growstrongleaders.com. Today, I am really excited to introduce you to my guest, Deborah Olshan Cooper. Deborah, welcome. Thank you so much, Meredith, for having me. I'm so excited. Oh, I am too. And of course, I want to give a shout out to our mutual friend, Akeem Novak, who introduced us. He had a sense that we would have a great chemistry, and he was right, of course. And so this is just going to be a great conversation, I know. Let me give my audience a little bit of information about you, and then we will jump into our conversation. Deborah is the founder of Your Career Design Lab, which mentors and coaches college graduates graduates to excavate their passion and turn it into a paycheck by crafting their unique story. She's worked with young adults and people in their 60s. So she has a range of, of ages that have uh, of people who've experienced her magic. Her 30 years of experience as CEO of two highly successful public relations and marketing firms has put her in a unique position to teach her clients how to craft, tell, and sell their individual story. Deborah is a remarkable storyteller herself, as you will soon discover. So, Deborah, let's jump in and start with you giving us a little insight into your journey from you know, being in public relations and marketing to now working with people to tell their stories so they get hired. Oh my gosh. Well, the I don't know how much time you have, Meredith, because that journey was a very long one. But you know what? We've come so far away. This is what I help people to discover. Somewhere along the line, we lost fact, uh, we lost sight of the fact that finding yourself and finding what you're meant to do and what your passions are takes a little bit of time. And now the narrative is, what do you want to be when you're 16? What major are you going to get when you're 18? Like, are you kidding me? And I really give homage, if you will, to my parents, because when I did go to school, I didn't even think I thought about college. Like I didn't even know what it was or something. So I went away to school to the University of Arizona, not even knowing you know, what it was. And then afterwards begged them to let me come back. So I come, came back and went to USC. And then I got asked to actually work in Europe for many years, for a couple of years. And, you know, I really give homage to my parents because they could have said, 
you've gone to two different colleges now and you got to finish school and you got to do this. And you, but they didn't. They let me live out my dreams. And because they did, when I did come back and started my own PR firm after a while, precisely the companies that I worked with in Europe, I worked with a lot of fashion companies, were the ones at the time in the 80s wanted to come into the US marketplace to bridge the gap. It was called the bridgeware market. It was bridging the gap between designer wear and like mass people who could afford it. And because I was able to tell my story that I lived in Europe and I knew their clothing and I was in their stores. Of course, I didn't tell them I didn't buy anything because I couldn't afford anything. But the point was I was able to weave a story that I'm your PR firm because I know who you are. I know what you sell. I know who your customer was. So in a short period of time, I became the largest, well, mid-size largest fashion firm that brought in all top designers into the U.S. marketplace, like Valley of Switzerland, Escada, Crezia, Kenzo, Pucci, you name it, I brought them into the U.S. marketplace, all because my parents let me live out my dreams. And that is what I try to do for people now. That's so cool. I have to get you to tell your Elizabeth Taylor story, because she had an influence on you in a particular area. And, and I think that's pertinent to our discussion today. Absolutely. Well, that was kind of kismet and like universe, to be honest with you, because I was working in fashion. I know this is weird, but I saw a psychic because I wanted to make sure that I was going to keep this job. I'm like 20 some years old. And he goes, no, you're not going to keep this job in fashion. You're actually going to be working with a celebrity, working on a disease that's going to affect people. And you're going to be in PR. I'm like, what the hell is this guy talking about? I didn't even know what PR stood for. I thought it meant like Puerto Rico. I had no idea. Literally the next day, this designer said, you know, you'd be really good in PR. And I had my Walkman at the time. So I'm walking in New York City with my Walkman going, PR, PR. I meet this woman, Shen Sam. And she just says, you know, we've got this client. We've got this client. We've got ET. And I'm thinking ET, like, I don't know. Do we work with Spielberg? I I don't know. I just didn't ask questions at the time for some. And now, of course, I ask a lot of questions. But the next thing I know, the next day I go in, I get hired. Next day, there's a stack of papers next to the computer or the typewriter, actually, at the time. And it's a dear Elizabeth Taylor. So I go, wait a minute. I'm working for a PR firm with a celebrity. Now I figured out the celebrity. And about a month after that, a company, a new organization called AIDS Project Los Angeles, APLA, which has now, of course, gone on to be the largest fundraising for AIDS, came to Elizabeth to ask her to be the co-chair with Betty Ford. And we created the whole concept, well, not the whole concept of AIDS, but how to talk about that within the you know, the news, not just that it was going to be a homosexual disease, but it was going to be the disease of every man, woman, and child. Now I could never going to high school or college. If somebody would have said, you'll be doing this, I'd be saying, go jump off a bridge. So it's all to say, unless we know who we are or what our passions are or where we want to, you can't, sometimes it's very unpredictable. You know, I I love that story. And I love 
the way you tell it also. And it made me think about a couple of things that I know you're doing today. Mm. And one of them, no matter what age someone is that comes to you and is asking for help, that seems like it's the first thing you do is get them to talk about who they are. Because too often it's what they do uh, that they associate with who they are. So tell us a little bit about your approach to getting people to really examine who they are and where their passions really are and how to bring those out. Mira, that's a great question. I guess it's my over 30 years of pitching people to the Today Show, Good Morning America, CNN, get into the New York Times. I had a craft, what sets you apart from the other fashion companies? What sets you apart from your business? Well, who are you and why would people care? Do you know what I mean? And so that's 30 years of honing that. And my greatest joy right now is what I deem having people get bolder, like be older, bolder instead of older, because somewhere along the line, to your point, nobody ever asked us, who are you? Who are you? And where does that passion? It's more, what are you going to do? What are you going to do when you grow up? Like we were saying before. So now I take people in their 40s, 50s, 60s and saying, okay, you got your 401k, you've raised your family, your kids are out of the house or they're married or whatever. What about you now? Who are you? And to excavate who these people are now and to see them going after what they really want in life, it's their turn. And for example, I have this woman, literally 67 years old, to be honest with you, she had just lost her husband like the month before. Her daughter wasn't speaking to her. She's really, she's like, I got to make money. She happened to, I think in the 70s, opened up the Ralph Lauren store on Rodeo Drive But long story short, we excavated who she was. And I found out she lived on a dairy farm. And we talked about what that looked like for her and the sense of tranquility and calmness and happiness. And she wanted to be an interior designer. I happened to open a door for her for somebody at Malibu that I knew was looking to redo their home. I said, you go in there and you tell that story of how you want to bring peace and tranquility because you know that you own it. That's something that's really important to you. They fell in love with her because she wasn't your typical Beverly Hills, you know, interior designer. They really fell in love with her sensibility. Then I said, keep bringing your value. Every time you go there, it's not sign the contract. I'm going to sign the contract. It was, you know, I thought about you guys and I saw this beautiful couch and bring the books, you know, like restoration hardware or all those companies and tag them and make it about them. Well, without the, but by the fourth, like that kind of thing, bringing her value, they hired her and she's making more money. She got a quarter of a million dollar interior design job. She never had that much money in her entire life of working on any project. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, uh, I won't call it a gift because like you said, it's a skill you've honed over the years. Yeah. Your ability, and I love the word excavate, you know, because it's like sometimes you have to really dig <laughs> deep because people are, are thinking more of the superficial, you know, and, and so one of your great skills and gifts is because most people don't take time to do that. Nobody does have the creativity, the patience. And one of the things that you've done is, is help people, you know, develop this ta-da list. 
And so let's talk about what do you mean by that? You know, I love that you asked that, Meredith, because, and I'll give another story, but my Tada list I came up with because I would ask people, who were you in that moment that you were in your room or outside when time just got lost? We've all had it whether it was playing Barbies, I don't know, you know, till you just got lost in your fantasy and your world and there was no stress and there was no time constraints until your mom basically called you for dinner. Therein lies your passion. Therein lies the thing that you're meant to do. And I can't tell you how many people, young college kids and older, where it's like, remember that commercial? Oh, I could have had a V8. Mm-hmm. It's that moment where it's like, ta-da, Oh my God, I forgot I love doing puzzles. That's why I want to be in computer science. Or I used to love the bigger the puzzles, the better. That's why I like to work at American Express and be on the back end to figure out the problems. Oh, when I used to go listen to music and I would put it on before Spotify, I forgot what those things were called. And I got like 10,000 followers and how that made me feel. I go back to what makes you feel something because feeling something is how you then trans transcend yourself into whatever business you're doing with your employees, with your boss, whatever. Even in interviews, I say to people, you know, they go, how do I impress people? It's not about impressing your boss. It's not about any of that. It's about how you make a connection. And so the Tada list is a list of about 10, it's like a brain dump, as also what I call it, is what are those things that made you happy? What brought you joy? What brought you a sense of peace? Therein lies what you need to be doing in life. It's so uh, interesting to take it back to a kid. You know what I remember was I loved getting some kids together and teaching. Teaching is what I always love to do. I became a teacher, realized I didn't enjoy the routine and um, worked in higher levels within a school system and found that I was teaching teachers at that point, but I didn't like the politics or bureaucracy. So I ended up starting my own training company. So I ended up following that teaching and now it's teaching people how to use our tools, make the best use of our books. So I am a teacher at heart and always have been. So I really resonate. Yeah, that's what makes you so authentic and have people come to you because people can feel that, you know, I mean, I feel it talking to you. You're the real thing. People want to know they're dealing with the real thing. It it imbues trust and safety. Mm -hmm. And I think really in this world that we're in now, that's what everybody's looking for is who can I trust? Who can I feel safe with to get to where I need to go? Well, you mentioned interviews. Let's go there and think of it from two different perspectives. I don't know if this is two different approaches or if they all merge into one, but in one scenario, it's someone that would really like to get promoted within their own company that they're in now or their own organization In another one, maybe it is a recent college grad or somebody that got downsized or just has decided, I'm not a good fit with this company anymore. I'm going to go interview with these other companies. So you have, a, I think, a really different approach about the interview process. And I would love for you to describe that because I think that will be so valuable for my listeners. 
really on either side of the table, because if they're the one interviewing candidates, I think what you will talk about will be relevant for that as well. Absolutely. Well, my whole program is a is to excavate who you are. And then what we do is this is on the other end, you know, as an interviewer or somebody who's interviewing someone is those proverbial questions that everybody asks. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Where do you want to be five years from now? What do you know about our industry? You know, the basic behavioral and career. Now, I'm sure somebody who's interviewing people, when you go, what is your strengths? And kids, every time I ask this and I'll go through like a, you know, a role play with them. Well, I just graduated from University of Buffalo. I have a 4.0 GPA. I was president of this. It's like you could imagine the interviewer, just the wall going up and going, and it's hard for them too, because they don't know what questions, but what we do is we craft four or five stories around the 38 proverbial questions so that if somebody is asking, what are your strengths? It's like, like this girl that I worked with, somebody asked her and she wanted to be in sales. And she had been like the front desk person at like some, I think the Four Seasons Hotel down in Brickell. But she was doing the like, I just graduated from University of Florida. And I'm like, okay, stop, Sophia. I go, I feel there's something in your background. She goes, well, I don't know if this is anything. But when I was five, my mom opened up my Dora Explorer backpack and $20 bills fell out of it. And my mom's like, Sophia, fess up right now what's going on. And she had a fess up that she wanted to have lunch at the cafeteria, but her mom wouldn't let her. So she, her mom would make her salami sandwiches. So instead of selling the whole salami sandwich, she would have five-year-olds lined up at kindergarten and she'd go, too bad you got to go to the cafeteria and eat hot dogs and hamburgers and, uh, and pizza. I get to have this Italian and whatever she made up right? To sell it. She sold each slice for $5. I go, that is your story. Now you can appreciate the interviews that we set up for her. When somebody asks you, what are your strengths? And they're expecting the like, oh, yawn. And she tells that story. She was literally hired on the spot because in that story, it didn't give a, you know, whatever, I'm not going to say this on air, but what she did or what classes she took or whatever, it was in her DNA. Do you want to hire someone who at five years old has a thinking to sell each slice or are you going to hire someone, you know, that whatever. And so she got hired by every job and now she's in, and you know, what's interesting. She's in a job right now where she's teaching other people who are interviewing how to tell their story. (laughs) So you're proliferating your skill through others, paying it forward. I love that. Exactly. But it also, because also to your point, Meredith, it turns the interview into a conversation that I are having. And I could imagine for people who are hiring people right now to have people come in one after another. It's like, I do, you know, that drone, but to have somebody come in with refreshing stories and creating a conversation, who are you going to hire? It's so obvious, but a lot of kids don't know how to tell their story. And a lot of interviewer people don't know how to, you know, to understand or ask those questions to create conversation as well. Mm-hmm. Are you working with any of the interviewers? Yeah. Interviewing? Well, you know, it's interesting. Well, one thing is what you had asked before. I am working with a young woman right now. 
She did the to-da list, but I could see it was very superficial because it's hard to go deep in yourself. You know, it's hard to, to ask yourself those questions. But once I started to ask, the floodgates opened and therein found out her true, what she's been through in her life, which quite frankly is unbelievable that this girl is still standing on two feet and being the way that she is. So we took that struggle, right? Put it into what she wants to do and be. And the reason why she wants to do it was, is to be a change agent, is to make companies better because she's working in a company right now that got bought by another company. You know how that goes. So then chaos ensues and then you get caught up in the minutia. And she's not a minutia person. She's a, I see this person not doing this. This person seems to be doing this. We need to create a playbook, but she can't get at it because they're like, you need to crunch these numbers. You need to do this. So we are now, but I told her to go in her boss, another team wants her. So she said, but I don't know. We may not make the appointment. I said, you go up to that person and you say to that person, and this is what I teach kids to, to ask for what you want. Companies want people to ask for what they want. And I said, you go up and you go, by the way, I know that we were going to talk about my promotion. I'm available today after five. I'm happy to stay after work to discuss that with you today. You don't go, oh, or not approach it. Sure enough, the guy had the meeting. She got promoted. Not to the spot that she wants, but a promotion with more money. And now we can take that position and maybe look for other work. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Well, you know, what's interesting is I'm listening to you describe that story. To me, what comes across to the person she's approaching is this confidence, correct? this decisiveness. And one of the things I know you help folks with are limiting self-beliefs that hold them back. And that is so huge because I think one reason so many people don't ask for what they want is that fear of being rejected or the stories, the other kind of stories they tell themselves in their imagination, imagining what they don't want to have happen. So tell us some stories about situations. Well, first of all, let's look at what kind of limiting beliefs are you finding that people have and how are you helping them move past that? Let's let's talk about Great that. Great question. I would tell you that every person I've worked with, and I've worked with hundreds of kids, adults, et cetera, all have limiting beliefs. That's just a given. In fact, when the question is, what are your weaknesses? That's where they start to come out. I'm working with a vascular surgeon, a kid who's trying to get into the hospital now to be a vascular surgeon. And I was trying to excavate his story. And I said, Eric, like you keep going back to that I graduated, I did this, I did that. Finally, we went through an exercise to eliminate, to switch the unconscious limiting beliefs to beliefs. And what he found out is he feels that he's not good enough, that he's an imposter syndrome, which is all the limiting beliefs. And he wear, but but we changed it to the imposter syndrome is like a little bird on his shoulders. So he gives more to his patients where most vascular surgeons after the thing, it's like, okay, good. Here you go. One checkup, never before to talk to them. He follows up with them. He follows up with their families to the point where his 
attending nurses or other doctors recommend him to do the surgery on their family. Mm. So that we changed it from a limiting belief and a weakness to a strength and going, oh, but it's connecting those dots because then it's like, oh, that's why they recommend me. That's why he didn't see it as a strength. Mm. He just thought like, because he was not good enough or something that they were throwing him a bone. Can you imagine? And it was so cool to see it turn from like, oh, it's because I'm good. It's because I, they believe in me. Maybe I should start believing in myself. I'm working with another gentleman who, who worked at um, the Miami Herald. He was like um, a director there. Then he went on to sell planes. But the thing that he always wanted, private planes, but what he always wanted to do was do women empowerment movies. But had a family, never thought he could do it, should do it. That's just a pipe dream. It's just a hobby. How do you, you know, I can't do movies. I've never been in movies. We started to go through the limiting beliefs, you know, of letting that go. You've raised your family. You are good enough to the point where he wrote a thing about these four Filipino women during World War II, a true story. We're now in a production with Hulu within one month, helping him tell his story that he was always a storyteller, but in different areas like advertising and that kind of thing. But his thing was to always make movies. So it's coming back to your, that sense of self before people started to put their kind of S on you, you know, your shit on you. I hate to say that, but it's really, that's why I say excavation, because it's really getting the mud off of you yeah. for what people believe in you. I worked with a kid. He, he had a very difficult time because his parents, he was Asian. And so it was that you got to be this, you got to be a doctor or lawyer. And he really went through depression and anxiety and really shut down for a while. And we started to work together. Now he's in an unbelievable company, by the way, telling stories for companies like Netflix and, and um, all kinds of things. And he loves his job because he combined music with business, but not the business his parents wanted him to be in, the business that he wanted to be in. Mm-hmm. You know, that whole thing of limiting beliefs and tying it, it being tied to expectations of others and thinking about people that already work within an organization, you know, and they're kind of tied to their mindset is around the existing culture and breaking through that to reach for what they really want. Maybe there's something within the organization. You gave such a great example of the one gal that said, I can stay today after five, you know, I'm ready to do this. For people that are afraid of hearing the word no, what do you suggest or how do they get past that fear of not getting what they want so it's better not to even ask? Because it's about going inward. It's kind of what we were talking before, Meredith, you know, about the podcasts and things like that. I want to change people's mindsets around outwardness because if we walk around life caring what other people think of us, we're never going to get to our truth. And my job is to change each person to find their sense of self, to find their truth 
and go after that because we have one life. And if we sit around this life waiting for others, opinions of us, giving us yes and no's, it's only going to fail. You know, they, there's a quote that the greatest way to failure is trying to please everyone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that comes down to the limiting beliefs too, that people are people pleasers and all of our background. And that's why the excavation part of who are you? And we talk about the limiting beliefs. It's so important to shed that and really get pure about who you are, because then in companies, you can go and ask for what you want. So you get a no. I mean, can I tell you something? When I would be pitching clients to the Today Show, you think they said yes every time? Absolutely not. But what I learned is I kept bringing value to the table. I wouldn't go, oh, what do you mean you don't want to do this? I'd go, okay, thank you. I swear to God, the next day I would find another value added. By the way, Santina, let's say she's the producer of Good Morning America. I don't know if you noticed this, but in the New York Times, they wrote about this. Just wanted to share it with you. Maybe two days later, you know, this happened. I swear to God, by the fourth time, she'd go, you know, Deborah, we had an editorial meeting and now we want to have your client on. I didn't go, oh my God, you said no, you took it personally. I'd go, okay, how do I turn that no into a yes by bringing value to them through me? Not because of them, but because of me, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Absolutely. It definitely does. It's that whole thing of serving first. Yeah. <clears throat> and serving looking first. at what can I do to um, help them. No strings attached, no expectations, but it's just kind of that trusting. If I'm giving at some point, they will see me as someone who contributes and will think of me. And so it's a way of putting yourself front of mind without being a pest. (laughs) You're being helpful. You're being helpful. You know, it's interesting Meredith, you say that because I have a a kid I was working with who graduated from Berkeley College of Music and I opened all these doors for him, but he wasn't able to land it because he was grown up to be a good boy, you know, to be the good boy. And you don't persist. Well, in the music business, guess what? That's what the whole thing is about. And I'll tell you some of the greatest compliments I would get is people would say to me, I'm sure they wanted to say something else to me, like you're a pain in the, you know what, but instead they go, Deborah, thank you for being so persistent because what company, whether you're selling stocks or your insurance or whatever, what company doesn't want somebody to be on that phone and be relentless and getting the monies for the company or getting the, whatever it is you want to hire people like that. That's what's going to make a difference in your company. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it has to do with the approach. But as you say, people give up too quickly. One of the things that I think is that you've got such a great perspective on that would be helpful for my listeners. You know, many are business owners, many are leaders inside organizations who hire people. So, you know, this younger generation, you know, the recent college graduates or the soon to be college graduates. What are some things that employers or hiring people need to understand about these folks so they understand how to get the best from them so they can become really strong contributors right out of the gate? That's a wonderful question, Meredith. What I have found from the kids that I work with is first and foremost, they want to be valued. They want to, they're willing to work. You know, people talk about the Gen Z and the Gen, what, not work. These kids are really hard workers. 
And they, they grew up though, but we, what we have to understand is their minds are wired completely different than ours. So you have a wired mind that's completely different. And this in the box thinking just will not fly with them. So one as an employer has to construct a way, A, to be honest with you, to find out what passion, you know, what are they passionate about? What do they want to contribute? It's almost like they have to ask the question first before they give the responsibilities. Mm-hmm. You know, we're so used to, well, like, hi, we're hired you here. This is what you have to do, A, B, and C. We need it by this. We need the report. We need the thing. What employers could do today is what work, I hate to say it, but it's what works best for you, you know, within the, within the company structure. But we've got to allow these kids to be kind of an entrepreneurs within an entrepreneurial company, but they're not, and to be recognized. I, they would take recognition over money any day of the week. They want to feel like they're contributing and that they're recognized for that contribution. That's first and foremost. Second is how do, what makes them tick? Just like in a relationship, I hate to say hiring people today is like dating. It's really gone, I don't want to say gone down to that or gone up to that. But it really is, it's not like, well, the person I dated before did this, so I want you to date do this. It's again, who are you? What do you want to contribute to this company? And then how can we work together to, to meet both of our goals? It's not the yavel dashdimt way of working in an organization. So what do employers sometimes do wrong in bringing on these folks that drive them to leave? Because we've got the great resignation going on. That's correct. Um, so what is it that causes uh, someone to say, I, I don't want to be here anymore? The wrong fit the wrong fit, because quite frankly, companies put out things that to say, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. But once they get in, they kind of feel trapped. Like, well, this isn't what you said. This isn't what I expected, you know, that kind of thing. So that's, that's really important that the fit, just like when they say about colleges, you know, I mean, you got to find that right fit. So it's important for employers now to see if that's the right fit. Also, when you say about kids coming in, they want to be part of a team. They want to collaborate. They want to feel like they can go out for a drink with their team afterwards. That's what makes these kids happy. I was just working with a girl. We got her a new job in, um, she's great at organizing things. It's an all women's company and they go out and they do karaoke night. That makes a working environment for her so much fun and want to do more for the company. I know it sounds crazy, but those are the things that the kids want today. They want to feel like they've got friends because of the COVID, you know, what happened coming back in. It's not good enough to be sitting in your cubby working alone. They don't want that. Mm -hmm. They've been doing that for two years. They're, they're animals. They want to be with people. So that's very important. Collaboration, teamwork, being recognized, feeling good about yourself, about the job that you're doing. Those are all really important. And you know what it boils down to is sitting and having conversations with someone, not making assumptions and even doing similar to what you do, going deeper, peeling back those layers to really find out what it is, because I think just the act of asking questions and showing an interest would set a potential employer apart from others. 
because it shows there's a there's a genuine caring and interest in this person that's sitting in front of me. That's right. About them. And the connection, Meredith, you know, that's why in the interviewing process, when you start to ask those kinds of questions and, and somebody can share their true life stories with you, you get a sense of who you're hiring and not just someone on paper. Yeah. You yeah. Know? A real I mean, person. Yeah. I mean, I had this kid from Long Island and his background was literally, he was a bartender at a bar in um, Long Island and he was a caddy at some like golf thing, but he wanted to be in accounting. And to be honest with you, I'm kind of going, holy crap, like this is going to be a hard sell here. But we were able to change what he did at Salt to show monies and different things that he did. Here's a perfect example, right? Like when you're interviewing, I said, but what did you do there? Well, I created more of like a, like an area where people could sit before they, cause we'd have long lines for dinner and to bring in more money. So we'd sell them drinks and a little like light bites or something. If somebody was really hungry before their dinner reservation. So I was able to bring in 5,000 more dollars prior to the whatever. And that was a story that he could tell the employer. Can I tell you something? He got, he got every single, he wanted to be at PWC Pricewaterhouse. He got the job. I'll be honest with you, even I'm a, like a little shocked, but the point is that he was able to tell a story around what he did, even if what he did had nothing to do with accounting mm-hmm. and going back to his childhood, when his teacher said, I think you would be really good at this. And it gave him confidence. And somebody who hired him said, I went through the same thing. Boom. Fire. Well, it just shows never to underestimate any aspect of your story that that could be relevant and to pay attention to it. I want to circle back to this thing of being persistent and following up because I heard you talk about, you know, calling verse and following up versus stalking. And so make make a help explain the distinction that you see between those two, because I think some people will feel like, gosh, if I keep calling back, it's like I'm stalking them. Right. Well, you know what? I do have a whole thing about that. I mean, that's even like on LinkedIn ways to communicate. It's all about communication. Right. So if we're going after something we want and we come from the like, you know, well, you should be, you should be talking to me or, you know, like from the ego, that's never going to do it. What you want to do, it's all about the other person, but how you relate to that person. What, again, I keep talking about value, but it really is the value. If my client had gone up to the people in Malibu and just said, well, I can't do anything until you sign the contract, it would never have happened. But she was there for them. I used to always say to people in my office, always stay three steps ahead of the other person. That's another thing when people are working. What can I do for you? You know, I noticed in the meeting, Meredith, you were looking for that book. Oh, I, I, I just, I happened to have passed by Barnes and Noble and brought it for you. I thought it might be helpful to you. Do you see like those little nuanced one step ahead, being aware of who you're working with, mm-hmm. what their needs are? And then trying to bring that value to you, you're golden. So it's that's not stalking. That would not be stalking you, right? No. That would be like you'd be saying to yourself, wow, that person listened in the meeting and how incredible that he went out and did that. Mm-hmm. That's somebody that you're going to promote. That's somebody you're going to keep an eye on. And that's someone who's valuable. Mm-hmm. 
So it's just that. And, you know, again, when I have to talk to people and, and try to get my clients onto these things, it's just thinking, what can I do for the other person? What is missing in that person that I can fulfill? with boundaries. Do you know what I mean? And there's boundaries around it. So it's a very nuanced thing of staying pure of who you are, but bringing value without getting stepped on, without getting stepped on. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's so important. What you know, I, I'd like people to just kind of burn that into their brains, because so few people do it, that's that right. you stand out when you do. And you're remembered. It might not be in that particular thing that at that moment you wanted, but you're going to be remembered. People, you know, they don't forget kindnesses or thoughtfulness because most of us are too wrapped up in ourselves and we're not even paying attention to what somebody else might be, you know, looking for. But to have that level of awareness is, is golden. That ties into the last thing, because I could talk to you all afternoon, Um, but something else that you've mentioned is important, and I so believe it too, is gratitude. What's the role of gratitude in, in the context of everything we've talked about today? It's everything. And I want to go back to one other thing, Meredith, the way you just said is, I teach people that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget the way you made them feel. So whether it's an employer or an employee, always have first and foremost in your mind, how can I make this person feel that what I'm doing for them or what I'm doing for the job or whatever, they feel something. So I just wanted to add that. Mm-hmm. And that's about gratitude. Do you know, it's just talking to you, always having that sense of, I'm so lucky to be here. You know, and I think what we were talking about throughout this whole thing is don't be in your head. Don't create stories that don't exist. And that takes time for young people. But we're so in our head sometimes making up stories to protect ourselves and our ego against, oh, my boss is going to think that. Or we, we actually stop ourselves from becoming our authentic selves. Mm-hmm. So the piece of advice around the gratitude is, Try to get out of your head, get into the moment of what you're doing and be grateful that you're in a job that you love or that you found the job that you're passionate about, or you love your boss, or you love your team, or you had a great time with your team out the other night. Those are the things to remember and to be grateful for every day. And really just just try to stay out of your head because that'll bring you down, to be honest with you. Yeah. In other words, projecting what could go wrong instead of looking what is going right. And, you know, something else, I probably, we've both learned this, but I have in the last couple of years even more is a way to stay in a grateful state of mind is to really think about everything is happening for me for my own good, even things that on the surface look terrible, they, there's a silver lining there. There's a lesson I can extract if I take the time to look and, and see, and I can see it when I have that mindset, as opposed to being fretting, worrying, feeling stressed, because that's all based on what I'm telling myself. That's right. 
That and you know, like that that quote, something about like what you resist in your mind persists. So you need to change that mindset to well, you know, all the bad things or what, like exactly what you said, because those are things that are going to be persisting. But that everyone has the power to be to bring out the best in themselves. Everybody has the power to do that. It's all within you. It doesn't exist outside of you. And if you learn that lesson, you learn the greatest lesson of all is to, and, and I know they say this, but to love yourself first. And then everybody, everything else just falls into place. Mm, that is so true. And anyone that is mentally arguing with that, <laughs> I would challenge you to pause and think about that. If you can't love and accept yourself, it's going to be really difficult to love and accept others. Deborah, in wrapping up, is there anything I didn't ask you about or that we didn't cover that you feel like you'd really like my listeners to hear? Oh, I think we covered so many wonderful things. And I hope that people really, this reframed a lot of people's mindsets, you know, that were maybe they went, I forgot that felt so good when I thought like that, because we all can go down rabbit holes sometimes, but it's to bring yourself back up. I think the only thing too is a lot of the things that we're talking about today, like the Tada list and a lot of things, how to overcome fear, overcome limiting beliefs, how to turn an interview into conversation are all on my website. It's all free. And I love sharing content that can reframe someone's mind to get them what they want out of life. Oh, that's great. Because the last thing I wanted to ask you is to tell how people can connect with you and learn more about you and now get access to these resources that you have. Wonderful. Well, actually, I'm uh, starting in May, I'm going to be starting my next group coaching um, courses, which is the 10 steps to finding your dream career. And a lot of it is talking about what we are talking about today, you know, the step by step of how to go and craft your stories so you can go in strong. Also, I'm doing a masterclass on how to find your dream career in music, fashion, and entertainment, because that's a whole other strategy, you know, and, and that's something we talk about too, is everything that we do, whether it's a resume, a couple of, it's a strategy. You don't go just throw things out to Indeed. Like it doesn't work like that. So I talk about the do's and the don'ts of finding your dream career. And that's all on my website at www.yourcareerdesignlab.com. You can find me on Instagram as well at Your Career Design Lab and or Deborah Olshan Cooper. Great. Well, thank you so much, Deborah. I just love your energy. I loved our conversation. I love the impact you're having in really transforming the lives of people because of the way you're helping them think about themselves, their history, their story, and bringing out their true talent and, and brilliance. Because what you're allowing them to do by doing that is really thrive. So thank you for who you are in the world and with your clients. And I'm so delighted to share you with my audience today. Thank you so much, Meredith. I'm grateful for this and for you as well. Thanks for tuning into my podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com and check out our two books, Connect With Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. While you're there, download the free facilitator guide to find out how to implement our unique peer coaching system. 
Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.